in 1872, the United States Supreme Court denied Mrs. Myra Bradwell, who had apprenticed, passed the bar exam, and had support from legal professionals, the right to practice law. Their decision quoted the Supreme Court of Illinois' opinion that allowing women to be attorneys was never contemplated. A lot has changed in the legal profession since 1872, but there is always room for improvement. From the Florida Bar's Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism, this is never contemplated. Hello and welcome to Never Contemplated. Our first podcast was released on September 16, 2020. Two days later, the nation suffered the loss of United States Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Justice Ginsburg was a legal luminary known for her groundbreaking work for gender equality and for her well-reasoned and well-written opinions and dissents. She set the bar for lawyers and judges on how to apply the law with integrity and to do the right thing. One of the other things Justice Ginsburg was known for was her relationship with Justice Antonin Scalia, her polar opposite politically, but one of her closest friends. Their friendship teaches us that being adversaries doesn't have to lead to hatred and divisiveness, but can be the basis of healthy professional and personal ties. On today's podcast, we are going to discuss the importance of civility, congeniality, and community in our profession with Judge Andrea Wolfson. Judge Wolfson sits on the 11th Judicial Circuit in Miami-Dade County. She was awarded the 2019 William M. Hovler Judicial Professional Award, which is given to an active member of the judiciary for outstanding ethics and public service. Judge Wolfson earned her law degree at Chicago-Kent Law School and began her legal career in Miami with the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office, where she also served as a Special Assistant United States Attorney with the U.S. Attorney's Office. In 2010, she joined the bench as a county judge in Miami-Dade until she became a circuit court judge in 2018. The Hoovler Award recognizes an active judge who best exemplifies service and competence as a jurist, lawyer, and public servant. Judge Wolfson embodies all of these characteristics. She currently presides in the criminal division and has been described by the parties that appear before her as particularly attuned to the human side of criminal court, where she is courteous to victims and defendants alike. Outside of the courtroom, Judge Wolfson mentors young attorneys and serves as the chair of the 11th Judicial Circuit Professionalism Committee. Welcome, Judge Wolfson, and thanks for being here. Uh, I've looked over your background. You have a really interesting upbringing. Can you tell us a little bit about how a small-time girl made it to the big city of Miami? Well, first, let me just tell you that it's an honor to be here with you today. I really appreciate it. Uh, This is exciting. So, yeah, I was a a small-town girl for sure, no doubt about that. I grew up in a farming community in southern Illinois, about 25 minutes east of St. Louis, and uh, spent my entire 18 years you know, of high school and everything there. Uh, went off to the University of Notre Dame for my undergraduate education and then ultimately ended up in Chicago where I was in law school and I met my husband who was from Miami. And so he brought me to Miami in December and I said, where do I sign up? Oh, wow. Um, I 
want to just backtrack to Notre Dame. It looks like that you had a biology degree and a master's in biology. How did you end up switching from science to law? Well, I was um, basically in my mind, I was destined to become a doctor from the time I was a little girl when people started asking me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so um, it was only fitting that when I went to Notre Dame, I studied pre-med and ultimately graduated with a degree in pre-med. Then I went off to get my master's degree in biology at Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. And I was really, really blessed when I was there to have a mentor who was a scientist, but he also had some background in theology and philosophy, and he taught the bioethics courses in the graduate program. And he and I had a lot of really uh, deep and engaging discussions about finding our strengths. And um, he had a very good piece of advice where, you know, sometimes if doors are open to you, that's for a reason. Um, You know, I I ultimately kind of decided to think about applying to law school, Um, ultimately got in and was still very nervous about making that transition. And he said that very uh, interesting piece of advice, you know, that sometimes you just have to walk through those open doors. And so I decided to work for a couple of years. I was a salesperson in the medical book industry and trying to figure it all out, which is not always easy to do when you're 22, 23 years old. But uh, then I decided to make the leap to law school based largely on on his advice. You also played, it looks like, high school sports. Uh, what kind of sports did, were you involved in? Yes, I was. Um, I played basketball, softball, and golf. And uh, did you did you find that that being on a team sport was helpful in in law school or becoming a lawyer or actually practicing on the bench? I absolutely did. Yeah, you know, I think when you play sports, you realize what you're capable of accomplishing with hard work, uh, stick-to-itiveness getting through challenges that sometimes seem insurmountable. Uh, I think it helps with self-confidence. It certainly helped me along the way uh, when I would face challenges, whether it was when I was a a young prosecutor working long hours and having moved to Miami, which was very, very different, even from Chicago, even though that was a big city. Um, But it's certainly playing sports and going through those types of challenges came in very handy when I was applying to become a judge because that's a process that, you know, you have all of your vulnerabilities exposed and sometimes the answer is no until it's yes. And, and uh, you have to be able to get through that. Well, tell, tell us about how you did become a judge. I, it was a, a, not an easy process, right? Yeah. So when I was appointed to the county court bench, it actually, I wouldn't say that it was easy. Nothing's easy about the judicial nominating process, but I was really, really lucky. The planets aligned for me and I I got it on my second attempt. Um, So that was uh, back in 2010. And I had actually an election in 2012. Miami-Dade County is roughly the size of Rhode Island. So that was kind of a big deal, uh, especially once again, hearkening back to the small town girl um, kind of scenario. But then uh, in 2016, I decided to start applying for an elevation to the circuit court. And um, that proved to be a much more difficult process than my first time around. So it took eight attempts uh, before I was actually elevated to the circuit court. And now it all seems like a blur, but it was it was a difficult process. And I think, once again, 
I did uh, utilize some of the skills that I had playing sports and getting through challenges. And um, it ultimately became an amazingly uh, powerful lesson for my kids who at the time were eight and 10, they're 10 and 12 now to watch me go through that process and, you know, get call after call that just says, nope, we, we're not looking for you. You know, <laughs> you're not the one. Um, and then, you know, going back and doing it again and trying again and figuring out what, you know, perhaps I could do differently the next time around. And then ultimately got the wonderful call from Governor Scott and got to share that with my kids. And so, you know, I think that that's a lesson for all of us, because in life you do, the answer is no very often. And uh, and getting back on the horse and putting forth an, an effort and and then, you know, raising your um, self-confidence through the process. So I, I look back on it with, um, you know, fondness at this point. Well, now that you're on the bench, you are in the on uh, doing criminal court, and uh, your application for the Hoover Award. There are all kinds of interesting quotes uh, about your demeanor and how you treat everyone fairly, both victims uh, and the defendants uh, in your courtroom. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, if that's difficult to do in the criminal court and and how you do that? You know, I really think that that has a lot to do with how I was raised, um, just basically how you treat people. I think treating others the way that you would like to be treated should be something that, you know, you do no matter what your profession, whether it's lawyer, judge, doctor, nurse, uh, no matter what it is. And so for me, um, and the, the way that my mind works, it, it's far easier and takes less energy to treat people with respect, no matter who they are, their race, their color, their socioeconomic status, um, because I just think it's the right thing to do. So usually when it's the right thing to do, things come pretty easily. And so, yes, there's chaos in the criminal courts. And yes, there are times when that type of uh, behavior is not necessarily reciprocated by you know the, the parties or the defendants or the victims for that matter. Um, but that doesn't change the way that, that I feel that I need to conduct myself on the bench. Um, when I was a prosecutor, I, I was the same. What you see is what you get. Um, and now ironically, my best friends on the bench uh, are former public defenders. So, um, you know, we, we, we love each other and we respect each other's differing views. And I think that's something that all of us could learn a lesson from. Well, another thing from your application, and I want to uh, quote uh, Judge Lourdes Simon from from your court, uh, who I believe was a, a public defender when you were a, a state attorney. She yeah. says that um, Judge Wolfson was always courteous, professional, well-prepared, respectful, and fair. Not only was she a worthy opponent, opponent who argued the state's case with vigor and zeal, but she never compromised her ethics or professionalism. Um, and I thought that that was very telling that it came from someone that you were an adversary with earlier. And now you're both on the bench. You're both friends, I, I believe. And yes, she's one of my best friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a little bit about a recent, you know, um, passing of Justice Ginsburg and Justice Scalia, their relationship where they were adversaries, but they were also friends. Do you feel that, um, the portrayal of attorneys in the media and in Hollywood that uh, it's hard to be 
an effective litigator uh, and to be nice at the same time? So I, you know, I think we're at a, a really a pivotal time in our nation's history in reference to not only politically, but in the legal profession and every type of profession and how people receive information from someone who may not believe exactly what they believe. And, and this is a lesson that I'm trying to teach my kids as well, is that you have to respect someone else's viewpoint. Um, and just because someone has a differing viewpoint doesn't mean that they are stupid or they're getting their news from the wrong place, but they have formulated their viewpoint in the manner in which they have formulated. I think people um, really need to learn how to respect each other in that regard. I think it was Sandra Day O'Connor. She wrote a lot on professionalism and gave a lot of lectures on professionalism. And, um, you know, one of the very simplistic things that she said was that we can disagree without being disagreeable. I mean, how how much more simple can you say it? You know, it doesn't have to be this complicated calculus. And and Justices Ginsburg and Scalia were perfect examples of that, where they would disagree fundamentally about almost everything from the core of our constitution, but yet find human, uh, personal ways that they were very similar and enjoyed the same things and respected each other, no matter where they fell uh, in, in an opinion, whether it was the majority or the dissent, but very typically on on, on different uh, levels. And so I think we can all learn some tremendous lessons from their relationship. I, I, I'm very pleased to see that there's been more in the news about that. Unfortunately, it took both of their passings for that to become common knowledge in, you know, uh, in our society. But I think we can learn from that. I agree. I wanted to uh, pivot a little bit and you talked about camaraderie uh, among people with different ideas, I wanted to focus on, really on uh, attorneys because I find that the plaintiff's bar, the defense bar, they they seem to to be adversaries more. And uh, the whole concept of uh, being zealous and being a bulldog for your client then transfers into their personal and professional relationships. What kind of advice can you give to especially new attorneys who may feel that they need to do everything on, in the courtroom, but they may be giving up real relationships, professional relationships with, with people they'll be working with in the future. I very often tell the young assistant state attorneys and young public defenders that you start building your reputation within the first six weeks of being on the job. Um, it's totally unfair. I mean, they're literally right out of law school typically have not even received the bar exam results yet. They're practicing as certified legal interns. But that reputation is building because they're in the courtroom, they're being seen. We lawyers are the face of the public's perception of the justice system. So you are litigating a case as a brand new lawyer at the podium, and you don't know who's watching you in the courtroom. You don't know who's listening to what you're saying perceiving your demeanor, the manner in which you're addressing the court or your opposing counsel. And, and that's happening immediately. And things, I've seen it, and it thankfully for me, it has benefited me greatly. But when I was applying to become both a county court and a circuit court judge, 
lawyers literally came out of the woodwork with stories of times when I treated them a certain way. And thankfully, they were positive, but I don't remember any of it. It was back when I was brand new and, you know, in the middle of my career, whenever it was. But um, not to suggest that you should behave in a certain way because down the line, somebody's going to say something good, bad or ugly about you. You should behave a certain way because it's the right thing to do. But um, that's what's happening, essentially, as these new lawyers are coming up, whether they realize it or not their entire career reputation is starting at that very moment in time. Uh, perhaps even the first time you step foot and speak in court at the podium. I would think that the more time you spend with anyone, uh, even if they have differing views or if they're adversaries in the courtroom, when you spend time with them, you get to know them personally, that that, um, that, builds for a better relationship and uh, that you work together better in the future. And I know the bar has lots of ways that you can meet people. Local bars have a lot of events, but are there other ways to encourage people to work together and maybe give back to the legal community as well? Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned something about just personal sort of face-to-face relationships. Of course, you know, in the pre-COVID times, we were able to do more of that. But I guess what I want to talk about in reference to that is we're in this technological age where we're sending off emails and we're texting. And it's so easy to sort of hide behind the shield of that, you know, non-personal interaction. But what I've found is when people actually are communicating with one another um, in person or otherwise, things are these these high emotions and, and what kind of leads to some unprofessional bad behavior Um, is diffused just because you're speaking to another person and not just shooting off an email and turning around and doing something else. So that's one thing. Number two, um, there are so many opportunities and we're very blessed here in Miami-Dade County to have a multitude of voluntary bar associations that have mentoring opportunities. We have mentoring through our 11th Judicial Circuit uh, Professionalism Committee um, and, and I I wouldn't be where I am today, and I know that most of us wouldn't if we didn't have mentors like that. I had my mentor that sort of shifted me in the direction of the law. I had a mentor who was uh, a county then circuit court judge who literally would bring me sidebar and say, when are you going to apply? And I'd say, "What for what? I It wasn't on my radar to become a judge until, you know, this person kind of tweaked something in my brain. I thought, well, a second. That's, you know, and I started to become more interested. I started observing judges and, you know, having some thoughts, positive and negative about how people conducted themselves. So mentoring opportunities are available. I, I, I think we're in a generation now where the folks are coming out of law school. They want and seek that much better than I know that I did. I mean, if I didn't have mentors who kind of fell in my lap, so to speak, I'm not sure if I would have taken the initiative to go out but the kids these days seem like they are, are ready for that. You know, it's a different world that we live in with networking. Um, so I would encourage people to, to seek out those opportunities and they're not difficult to find. I know another uh, project that you have worked on uh, is with the women's uh, prisons. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so the, the National Association of Women Judges had a uh, book club program 
And it was a national program. We did it locally here with one of the women's prisons. And it was just like any book club we've all been part of. You read the book and then you, you know, a month later or so set up a time and sit down and discuss the book. And uh, I, I really have to give a huge shout out to my dear friend and colleague, Judge Lisa Walsh, who was at one time the president of NAWJ. Um, she was also my partner when we went to do the book club. And it was a tremendously rewarding experience, uh, especially for someone who's, you know, been on the side of the prosecution as a career. And now I'm sitting in a prison with offenders, you know, who, um, you know, who, I, I mean, I didn't prosecute any of those folks, but, you know, who I could have at one point or another. Um, and to listen to the insight that they had about the book that we read, um, they were very, very bright um, and, and really made me stop and think on numerous occasions, like, well, I didn't really think about that. It brought up things that were um, on a deeper level than I really contemplated. So, that was just such an incredible experience and, and one that I'm hoping now is, you know, God willing, we're, you know, soon we're able to emerge out of the pandemic and we can, you know, begin experiences like that again. Do you um, feel like once this is over that this will change the way that uh, courtrooms and law is practiced the, the whole pandemic and just, uh, you know, we're doing a lot more Zoom hearings we're doing everything masked and distanced. How do you think that's going to affect uh, the the application of the law? Yeah, I do. Um, I, and you know, some of it, I have to say, you know, we I think we've all tried in different facets of our lives to find a silver lining uh, through this. I know personally, I've been very pleased that I've had family dinners more often than not. That you know, the activities kind of came to a halt. And so, you know, we get to sit and have dinner with each other as opposed to running all over creation for softball and baseball and all the activities and things like that. And I think the same is true for the courts where there have been some silver linings. I think that, you know, there are a lot of different types of hearings that we do not need to slam a hundred people inside a courtroom, um, make people pay for parking um, and, and go through that process sometimes for something to be in and out in 15 seconds, you know, and so I think the Zoom hearings have been fantastic for that. Now, certainly in the criminal courts, there are a variety of confrontation reasons why, you know, things can't always happen via Zoom, but, um, but for those sort of ministerial things, we've taken thousands and thousands of cases out of collections upon, you know, motions of defendants. It's been really wonderful that we've been able to do that. And people don't have to come physically into the courthouse for that. And, um, you know, just different types of things like that. Now, I will say, though, that, you know, I, I think I've become a creature of having the, the chaos that ends up being the criminal courts here in Miami-Dade. And I miss it. I miss having people. And I, you know, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to tiptoeing in the direction of trying to do a jury trial, hopefully over the next month. Um, but yeah, I think there are things that we are probably going to keep, you know, uh, where we are right now, because now we know what we can do um, legally, safely, and otherwise over the computer and what we'll, you know, need to do in person. So it's been rough for everybody, I know, but we definitely have gleaned uh, some positivity out of it. 
I think we're all looking forward to to getting back to what what whatever the normal will be. Right. Um, but but uh, having live testimony and and courtroom experiences. We haven't even touched on your award, your Hoovler Award. You are currently the chair for the Professionalism Committee for the 11th Judicial Circuit. Um, what does a professionalism committee do? Well, we uh, first of all, we're comprised of judges from every part of the circuit, so every division, um, county and circuit court combined. And then there's a handful of lawyers that um, you know really are considered to be the best of the best in our legal community. Um, at the very least, we meet quarterly. Um, we put on events every year, two events. We have our annual events. We have our summit. Um, and that's a different focus and a different audience every year. And it's a kind of a, we do it in the round so that people can see each other. And really it's an active uh, process where people are giving feedback. It's not a lecture. It's not a seminar. It really truly is a summit. And this past year, the Florida Bar was heavily involved and it was uh, a focus like much of the focus of uh, the Florida Bar and the ADA is mental health and wellness was part of the discussion as well. In years past, we'd had large firms, government firms, the judiciary, um, you know, as our, our, our focus of that particular year. Um, we also have a new attorney breakfast every year to welcome the new lawyers and uh, talk about judicial expectations and joining voluntary bars and how it, why it's important to be an active member of your legal community. And we're seeking out some more creative ways to uh, really promote professionalism because, you know, we're still, we're fighting the fight and it's not going to be a flip of a switch. There's, we know that, but, um, you know, we have to keep uh, promoting professionalism and civility and respect and kindness for others. And it's just uh, the, at the basic level. And so um, that's really what our committee does. And then in 2014, the Supreme Court mandated professionalism panels for um, grievances that that are not that they don't rise to the level of a bar complaint and it's not supposed to be disciplinary in nature but more educational in nature so we've been working very hard for several years um, and we're going to keep working very hard well you mentioned uh, the bar's focus on wellness what is it that you do to de-stress or um, take a break well, I love my Peloton. I'll tell you that. Um, I I, um, I used to like to do spinning years ago. And then, you know, after you get knee deep in your job and then the kids are getting bigger and all that, it's harder to get to the gym. So I, um, I sprung for the Peloton and I'm really happy I did. It was probably the biggest and best gift I ever gave myself. Um, I like Pilates as well. I love, love, love uh, helping coach my kids baseball and softball teams. They're almost now to the point where they're too far advanced. So I'm kind of retiring my coaching, um, but uh, substituting it with uh, keeping score and things like that, because they really are both tremendous athletes. So those types of things, um, you know, sometimes my friends will say, oh my goodness, you have to drive to Naples. You got to drive to Lakewood. You got to and I said, no, this is, I'm going to my happy place, you know? So for me, that's exactly where, 
where I want to be if I can. But my own health and wellness, you know, mixed in there, I try to stay in shape the best way that I can. I probably could practice mindfulness a little bit more. I think I maybe should should try to move into that direction, but I... uh, I think we can all do that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I kind of like to sweat it out right now. That's where my focus is. (laughs) Well, Judge Wolfson, I want to thank you for your uh, advice, your time. I hope that you get more time in your happy space um, (laughs) and that you are uh, stay safe and healthy. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That wraps it up for this edition of Never Contemplated. I'd like to thank Rebecca Bandy and Katie Young at the Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism for their administrative support in making the podcast a reality, and to Clay Shaw, the Florida Bar's creative support manager and sound editor for his technical support. You can find information on the Hoover Award, links to the articles on the friendship between Justices Ginsburg and Scalia, and to some of the organizations Judge Wolfson is involved in at the Bar website under the Never Contemplated podcast. Thanks for listening.